the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on a special weekend, because Sunday is, of course, Mother's Day, when we celebrate the mothers of the world. We also celebrate godmothers, grandmothers, aunts, and those many special women in our lives. I hope your day is splendid and filled with sunshine, love, and laughter. After the new segment, I have a very special guest in the interview segment, Father Peter John Cameron. Ordained a Dominican priest in 1986, Father Cameron taught homiletics for 24 years at St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody, New York, and other seminaries. He's now in Rome, and he currently holds the Carl J. Peter Chair of Homiletics at the Pontifical North American College. Homilies are our main focus, of course, but the entire conversation is riveting especially when you learn of Father Peter's theater background and how that helped him prepare and deliver homilies. Lots of insightful, compelling stories. We talk about the length of a homily. Fascinating. So don't miss that conversation. And now the news highlights of the week and a busy week it was for the Holy Father. By the way, for the first time in public, we saw Pope Francis use a walker because of his ongoing mobility issues. In fact, Friday morning he began his address to the General States of Birth Conference by saying, quote, Pardon me for not speaking to you while standing, but I can't tolerate the pain when I stand. In the news Sunday, May 7th, Addressing the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis noted that the day's gospel, which is taken from Jesus' last discourse before his death, shows us how even back then Jesus showed the disciples the way, thus reminding us that he still does so today. He tells us where to go and how to go there, said the Pope. After reciting the Marian prayer, he greeted the numerous groups present for the Regina Chaley, in particular the Meter Association, noting that they worked tirelessly to prevent and combat violence against minors. For 30 years, he said, they have been defending childhood from abuse and violence. Never tire of being on the side of the victim, said the Pope. He also greeted some newly sworn-in Swiss guards. Monday, May 8th. Pope Francis welcomed members of the Congregation of the Holy Spirit under the protection of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, also known as the Spiritans. He described their charism like the hand of God who caresses the people, caresses each one of you, the tender God who always caresses. The audience took place to mark the 175th anniversary of the refoundation of the Congregation of the Holy Spirit, which joined the original order with the Society of the Sacred Heart of Mary in 1848. Tuesday, May 9th was a quiet day at the Vatican, but Wednesday, May 10th, a little history was made when, at the weekly general audience in St. Peter's Square, two popes were present. Pope Francis, and the Coptic Orthodox Pope Tawadros II. They've known each other for 10 years and communicate frequently, but this is the first time ever the head of another church has spoken at a general audience. The two first met on May 10, 2013, shortly after each one had been elected. 
Pope Francis did not deliver the traditional general audience catechesis. Rather, each leader spoke, Pope Francis in Italian and Tawadros in Arabic, highlighting their long friendship. Pope Tawadros gifted Pope Francis relics of the 21 Coptic Orthodox martyrs killed by ISIS in 2015, as well as a relic of the martyrs' blood. Pope Francis announced that these 21 martyrs will be inserted into the Roman martyrology as a sign of the spiritual communion uniting our two churches. Also Wednesday, Pope Francis met participants in a conference titled Food and Humanitarian Crises, Science and Policies for Their Prevention and Mitigation. This was sponsored by the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. He spoke of the timeliness of the conference, not only for academic discussion, but also one that calls for far-sighted leadership and practical policies in order to relive the sufferings of so many of our brothers and sisters who lack healthy eating and access to sufficient food. Also Wednesday, in a letter, Pope Francis congratulated a friend of his, Rabbi Abraham Skorka from Argentina, who was awarded an honorary doctorate by the Faculty of Theology of the Jesuit-run University of Trnava in Slovakia for his contribution to the advantage of Jewish, Christian, and interreligious dialogue and for promoting tolerance in the fields of science and education. Thursday, May 11th. Pope Francis and Coptic Orthodox Pope Tawadros II met again, this time in the Apostolic Palace. Francis welcomed the Coptic leader and his delegation in Rome to celebrate 50 years of Coptic and Catholic relationships, as well as the 10th anniversary of their first meeting in 2013. Pope Francis noted that in the ecumenical journey, it's important to always look ahead. He said, we always ask ourselves, how far do we still have to go? It's also necessary, he said, to always remember, especially in times of discouragement, to rejoice in the path already traveled and to draw on the fervor of the pioneers who have gone before us. Also Thursday, the Vatican released Pope Francis's message for the 109th World Day of Migrants and Refugees, on the theme, Free to Choose Whether to Migrate or to Stay. This day will be marked on September 24th. The Pope recognizes that the migratory flows of our times are produced by a complex and varied phenomenon that, to be properly understood, require a careful analysis of every aspect of its different stages, from departure to arrival, including the possibility of return. The flight of the Holy Family into Egypt, said Francis, was not the result of a free decision, nor were many of the migrations that have marked the history of the people of Israel. The decision to migrate should always be free, yet in many cases, he said, even in our day it is not. Conflicts, natural disasters, or more simply, the impossibility of living a dignified and prosperous life in one's native land is forcing millions of people to leave. Fear, desperation, and poverty, he said, often prompt migrants to search for a better future. Also Thursday, Pope Francis addressed members of Caritas Internationalis as members gather in Rome for their quadrennial General Assembly to elect a new leader. 
Last November, he had removed Caritas leaders and appointed a temporary administrator to improve the organization's management. Thursday, Francis thanked the Confederation of Catholic Relief Agencies for their tireless efforts and loving charity across the globe. Caritas is a confederation of over 160 members who are working at the grassroots level of almost every country in the world. Caritas, inspired by the Catholic faith, helps by reaching out to the poor, vulnerable, and excluded, regardless of race or religion, to build a world based on justice and fraternal love. Also Thursday, Pope Francis met with members of the Italian Conference of Missionary Institutes as the group celebrates the 50th anniversary of their establishment. He reminded the missionaries that through embodying Christ in prayer and listening, they will achieve the salvation of the brothers and sisters which the Lord entrusts to them. Friday, May 12th, speaking at a conference in Rome on Italy's dearth of babies, Pope Francis highlighted the urgent need for joint efforts to support families to address the demographic crisis, warning that savage, free-market conditions are preventing young people from having children. He said parents, and especially women, need more support and security if countries such as Italy were to reverse the course of the demographic winter. He said birth rate is crucial for the future of our societies. Indeed, the birth of children is the main indicator for measuring the hope of a people, he said. If few are born, that means there is little hope. Italy's birth rate, in fact, has been shrinking for years and in 2022 hit a new historic low. Well, those are the main events of the week just passed, but stay right here for my conversation with Dominican Father Peter Cameron, who teaches homiletics at the North American College in Rome. Everything you wanted to know about homilies and much more. And by the way, have a great weekend. This is Michael Drollman, Communications Director for Core Christi Broadcasting in Central Washington State. We rely on Catholic Radio to send the gospel message to listeners in our area. We know people who have come into the church after listening to the excellent apologetics programming we provide. Catholic Radio, a great tool for evangelization. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Providing quality programming faithful to the teachings of the Catholic Church, EWTN is television that viewers can trust. Whether it's films, documentaries, news coverage, lively discussion shows, or kids' programs, we highlight the truth that is the eternal word. For a complete schedule of EWTN television programs, visit EWTN.com and click TV. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. She was a mystic and reformer who died at the age of 33. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Catherine of Siena accomplished something no one thought possible. She convinced Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome after the popes had lived in France for almost the whole of the 14th century. They've been there ever since. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 
Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Well, I want to welcome my listeners to a new and really wonderful edition of Vatican Insider. And my guest this week is a name that probably everybody knows because I know so many of you subscribe to Magnificat magazine. And you knew it when Father Peter John Cameron was the editor-in-chief of um, Magnificat, this monthly publication that we all have in our homes. He's now at the North American College. We're going to talk about his work with homiletics and the students here. But first, a little bit about his background. He was born in Rhode Island and raised in Connecticut and was ordained a Dominican in 1986. For 24 years, Father taught homiletics at St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody, New York, and other seminaries. He's also the author of numerous books. I've seen a number of his great videos on YouTube. And you currently hold the Carl J. Peter Chair of Homiletics at the Pontifical North American College. That's where we're talking today. So, Father Peter, welcome. It's a joy to be with you, Joan. Thank you for asking me on your show. Well, you know, our topic is going to be your focus and it's something that everybody who goes to church is always concerned about. Oh, yeah. The faithful who sit in the pews and listen to a homily, mm-hmm. and obviously the pastor, um, you know, or could be a deacon like some of the men here who gives, who gives a homily. In research about your life, mm-hmm. I, I found you had a Master of Fine Arts in Playwriting mm-hmm. from Catholic University, and you are an award-winning playwright. Now, before I even talk about homilies. Tell me about that background, because it does have something to do with homilies. It actually does. I really kind of learned how to preach from my playwriting uh, graduate studies, but I've always been interested in the theater ever since I was a little boy, and I went to Providence College, the Dominican-run university in Rhode Island, because I was planning to join the Dominican Order. And I just presumed I would study theology or philosophy, but they told me, no, you have to do that later, so study whatever you like. And I said, well, I really like theater. So I was a theater major, and when I went to apply to join the order, almost all of the people that I spoke to, the priests that that interviewed me, told me that, something I didn't know, that the province of St. Joseph, the Dominican province, for 42 years ran in New York City an off-Broadway theater company. No lie. Called, yeah, called Blackfriars Theater, which gave the start to many great artists like Geraldine Page and Darren McAvin and great producers and directors. Wow. And so they said to me, well, would you, would you ever be interested in reviving it? I said, I really would. So I did my studies in theology and then went across the street to the Catholic University of America and did the MFA in playwriting and we revived Blackfriars Theater in 1998, and it still exists. Oh, I can't wait for my next trip. I have to make that a, a part of my life. Or maybe we need to do something here in Rome. I don't know. Maybe well, you got a great, I mean, we at that NAP, it's a great theater It here. sure is, sure yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's been a few years since I've attended anything, but, you know, when, I mean, heavens, 20 and 21, yeah. COVID, everything was yes. closed down. No big right. gatherings, right. you know. right. So, so how would you, is, is it style? What was it about being an actor, being a playwright, delivering something that linked, in your mind, this to delivering a homily? Yeah, it's an awesome oh, question. Well, writing a question. I, th- I think the main thing is that 
What is so fascinating about a play is that you can sit in the theater for two or three hours and not get bored. Yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, how is that possible? Because we get bored in 20 seconds, never mind two hours. So I realized it has to do with the structure of the play, and it has to do with all these different elements that the playwright is very uh, artfully crafting, and, and the audience is not aware of it, but using susp- uh, sus- suspense and surprise and all humor, all no, kinds of ele- oh, yeah. elements that just when our attention is about to drift off, the playwright pulls us back in. And I thought, well, that's what homilies need to do. Right. And, and the thing is, writing those plays, too, you have to know when, you know, there's the, the moment for humor and when that, there's the moment right. for right. drama, and it, ha- and it has to be well done. Yes. So... Um, I can remember we had a priest not too long ago at St. Patrick's in Rome, one of the Paulist fathers who had been here for 101 years, um, catering to Americans. Yeah. Father Joe had a beautiful singing voice. Wow. I can't tell you how many times he'd get up there at Sunday Mass to give the homily, and he'd either begin or sometimes the middle or the end in a song. But the thing is, you knew at some point you were going to get a song. Right. And a beautiful voice and a song that meant something. Yes. He didn't just pick something, you know, out of sure. it, but it meant something to the, to the readings of the day. I'll have to sit in on one of your classes someday. But here at NAC, there are four levels of, um, of prepper formation for the young men. Human, intellectual, pastoral, and spiritual. And yes. just in the short meetings we've ever had before, conversations, and what I've just learned now, it seems like in some way... You're involved in each of those in a small way. That's a very good insight, it, I, and, and it's true because, uh, well, let me put it this way. So um, I'm a huge Pope Benedict XVI fan, and when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, he was giving a talk in Canada one day, and as an aside to the talk, he said, he talked about the aim of preaching, and it's very interesting because in talking about the aim of preaching, he, in this instant, didn't even mention God. He said the aim of preaching is to tell the human being who they are and what they need to do to be themselves. So a lot of what's going on when we preach is helping people to recognize what it means to be human because it's not something that we know. I mean, as the Second Vatican Council said so eloquently that Christ reveals man, the human being, to himself. And so the homily is that. And then spiritually, obviously, it's incorporating the spiritual dimension of the scripture. Intellectually, we have to make sure that the teachings of the truth are given given to people. And the, the homily is meant to put people on mission. And that's what sure. the pastoral dimension of, of their formation is all about. Exactly. It's a, a beautiful statement to mention those four aspects. And each of the young men, long before they came through the door, for the first time already knew about that. They knew what seminary life is, but that there's these four focal points. Yeah. Now, um, when you went to greet the other priest just a, uh, earlier, and I was talking to the two seminarians, I said to them, one of the questions that I'm going to ask Father Cameron is, what do you tell seminarians is the first thing they must do when sitting down to write a homily? Yeah, so we have to pray. I mean, if if it's not the fruit of our contemplation, then it's it might not be bad, but it's not going to bring people into an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of the homily. And that's why the homily is a, an integral part of the Mass, 
because it's not just conveying information or helping people understand the faith better. It's deepening their very personal, intimate friendship with the Lord. So they have to pray to get that, that friendship really engaged. So we have to call them better, richer people. And I think if the homily was good, and I've you know, heard a lot of the good ones in my life, as I've exited church and I'm going home or later that afternoon, um, I think about certain elements. Yeah. Well, there, there just might be one phrase or one way that Father said something, gee, I never thought of the Trinity that way or, or yeah. whatever it may have been. Sure. Well, now, today, though, everything seems to be... I've heard that this is from Vatican Council too. The homily should focus on the two readings, Sunday Mass, two readings, and then the Gospel. And, but a lot of us find that very often what we really need to hear is, which we can understand because we've probably, if you're an adult like me, how many times in my life would I've heard a certain gospel or reading? Many, many times, right? And so we know what the lesson is in Peter's word to somebody or the Lord or the Ascension or any one of the moments in our Lord's life and the Apostle's life. But we don't hear much today about church teachings, about right and wrong. I, I saw a post um, probably 10 days ago on Facebook. This woman was just in a state of exhilaration because at Mass, this priest talked about right and wrong and abortion. Mm-hmm. And in today's society, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, please don't wonder if it's a sin. He got a standing ovation. That's wonderful. I know. But I mean, it, the fact that a teaching, that a homily on an important teaching of the Catholic Church prompted people to write on Facebook because it was so outstanding. Do we, do we need more of that? Don't you think we uh, do? You? Well, this is why there's the Order of Preachers 800 years after the death of St. Dominic because the Church always needs doctrinal preaching and the great challenge is finding the method by which the people of God can be given the truths of the faith in a way that corresponds to their ability to hear them and to receive them. That's the difficulty. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you'll have all ages right. and all educational backgrounds yes. in church on a Sunday. And, and, and the, the bad influence of the, the corruption of culture uh, causing people not only to think wrong, but to think in a kind of warped way about what constitutes right and wrong. So sometimes it means going back to, to the absolute basics. But if we start with happiness, the desire for happiness... And then if we help people to see, okay, well, what path have you been following to be happy and is it working out? If it's not working out, usually it's because they have bought into values or, or, or concepts or, that they think are truthful, but they're not. And that's the moment to, to speak about the teachings of the church. And I, I imagine a worry in, in a priest's mind today. I mean, you guys aren't oblivious to what's out there on, on the social media. I grew up without that kind of social media. Yeah, I mean, me our social media was the Catholic newspaper from Chicago. Right. Um, but so I didn't have things coming at me from every person on earth who has access to social media. Right. And you read something and you go, "Ooh, is 
have I been wrong all my life? I was firm in my faith, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't have all these outside influences. But do you all sometimes worry, or do, your, do the seminarians ask you, do they worry about people maybe being offended if they're to talk about a specific aspect of moral life, a specific moral teaching like abortion, okay? Do they sometimes worry that there are people in the faithful who might feel uncomfortable because much of the time it's a very wonderful homily pointed at readings and the gospel. I think there's great tension uh, that all priests, and I, I know the seminarians are aware of, that exists that was not the case 5 or 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. So they know that there's a, a challenge and a struggle. They know that uh, the culture, not only is it not Christian or Catholic the way that it used to be, but it's it's somewhat pagan. So yes, so there, we're aware of the, the the tensions, and not everyone is going to like you, even if um, we we speak the truth boldly. Yeah. So uh, if the expectation is that we're going to win everybody over, that's unrealistic. So. Sure. There is a certain degree of courage that's involved in knowing that when I speak out, yes, it might make some enemies, but it requires a, a tremendous amount of prudence and right. of uh, diligence and of sensitivity. Again, I think sensitivity, sure, tell the truth, yeah. but sensitive that there might be people uncomfortable in the pews, you know. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a great principle that St. Thomas Aquinas, the great uh, Dominican theologian, constantly would reference in his writings was that a thing is received according to the mode of the receiver. So we have to know what our our people are capable of receiving and then give them the truth as fully as we can to meet that receptivity, which we hope will continue to grow. Well, that's all the time I have today with Father Cameron, but come back next week and learn a lot more about the importance of homilies, how long a homily should be. I mean, that interests everyone. I ask if priests sometimes have fear of rocking the boat, of making people feel uncomfortable if their homily focuses on difficult church teachings, on sin, abortion, right and wrong, moral issues not just on the comfortable, more easily acceptable teachings of our faith. information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.